Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, we're going to expand on a topic inspired by my rewatch of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I'm Jeff Braun. Yes, we're taking a look at some of our favorite trilogies of all time. I also started a Fast and Furious rewatch this week as we get reset for the release of Fast and Furious 9. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? The way I see it. If you're gonna build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? Besides, the stainless steel construction made the flux dispersal. Look out! And we're gonna start with Back to the Future. The first movie in the trilogy is a flat-out masterpiece. It's maybe the only movie I know of where I'm still yet to meet someone who doesn't like it. And I know guys in their 40s who still maintain it's their favorite movie of all time. The second one and the third one, also great. Not as great, though. However, Robert Zemeckis did do an amazing job tying the sequels into the original. It helped, of course, that the original had that ending that was, you know, built for sequels. And it helped that movies two and three were written together and shot back to back. So all the tie-ins and callbacks were kind of baked in from the start of those two movies. I love world building. The first movie does an amazing job of building up the characters and the history of Hill Valley so quickly and so thoroughly, and it just keeps paying off for three straight movies. And new generations are getting into it, too. I have um, my girlfriend's sons are into these movies, thanks to me. A buddy of mine says his kids just love them. The 80s of it all isn't holding any of these back. Brett, I know a 10-year-old kid who prefers now to be called Marty McFly. His name is not Marty, but he would like it if you would call him Marty <laughs> McFly when you address him. So the, the gift that keeps on giving, the Back to the Future trilogy. Well, it's proof that some movies are timeless, right? Back to the Future is one of my, mm. it's got to be in my top five favorite films. It's just such a classic film. I don't know that I would put the trilogy in, like if I were ranking my favorite trilogies, I'm not sure where Back to the Future would fit because I do enjoy the sequels. I just, the the first one beats them hands down. That's not yeah. to suggest that they're, they're, they're bad. And I think the, uh, when I first saw them, I preferred the third one to the second one, but in in subsequent watches over the years, as much as they jam into that second one, it's pretty complicated. It's uh, it's a good movie. I mean, it's entertaining, and uh, I just sort of liked the the simplicity of the third one. So I should watch those sequels again because I've seen the first one, I bet you a hundred times. Yeah, and the sequels maybe three or four times each. Because that second one, you're right. That is that is not easy to follow along. Like that whole movie is basically plot that you have to like be paying attention to the whole time and then like you said that third one once he gets back to the old west then you know the plot kind of slows down and it's very clear what it is and what the stakes are and all that and you're not bouncing around constantly in time until you get back to the end of it so yeah i hear what you're saying the second and third one don't really hold up to the first one certainly not as much as they're not as good as the first one but um it's still they still all seem to fit together really well in a way that's just so pleasing to me. And I just like all the different eras of that town and how, you know, there's a biff in every time period. And there's one of the same guy keeps showing up in all different time zones. So Back to the Future, that's uh, definitely a couch potato fave when it comes to trilogies. Um, the next trilogy we're going to look at is quite a bit different from the Back to the Future movies. It's 
the Godfather trilogy. You spend time with your family? Sure I do. Good. Because a man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. You look terrible. I want you to eat. I want you to rest well, and a month from now, this Hollywood big shot's gonna give you what you want. It's too late. They start shooting in a week. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. Now, the Godfather trilogy is a trilogy where the bad third movie really drags down the whole thing. It, it, you know, it gets in the conversation all the time because the first two Godfathers are so good, but the reputation of the third one is not good, and the movie's not terrible or anything. It's just nowhere near as good as the first two. It's even a bigger gap than what we get in the Back to the Future movies. And, I mean, the first two Godfathers are in, you know, every cineast top ten all-time list. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola did just put out a re-edited version of Godfather Part Three, which by all accounts is better than the original version of that movie, but it's still not in the same sphere as the first two. So people always want the Godfather trilogy included in Trilogy Talk, but for me and a lot of others, I know... When you think of The Godfather, you really only think of parts one and two. Cineast. I admit, yeah. this is a word I have never heard. I'm just looking it up now. Cineast. A filmmaker or an enthusiast for or devotee of movies or filmmaking. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Look at you. It's for serious uh, movie lovers, you know what I mean? I know. Like, not everyone's going to have The Godfather in their favorite movies of all time, but the people who are very serious about the... People who say cinema instead of movies, they're the ones uh, that would. I'm going to the cinema exactly. to watch The Godfather. Can I, I'm going to make a confession. <laughs> I have only seen The Godfather one time. I have not yep. seen The Godfather two or three. Oh, well, there you go. One day you got to sit down. You couldn't do it in one day. One weekend you got to sit down and uh, have a little marathon there. You'll enjoy it. You'll Well, you'll enjoy the first two anyways, and then the third one you'll be like, no, this isn't really as good as those first two were. Yeah, I probably avoid them now because just because of how long it takes me to watch a movie at home. Like if it's three hours long, it'll take me probably seven and a half hours because exactly. <laughs> I'm so easily distracted. Uh, I'm like a dog that sees a ball or a squirrel, just stops what they're doing to pay attention. And it to will the with those. I got the DVD set of the trilogy years ago, like in the early 2000s, and uh, Francis Ford Coppola does commentaries on all of them. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to start the Godfather 1 commentary. I've started it, I would say, half a dozen times, and I never get more than half an hour into it before I'm just like, oh, this movie, I can't do this. It's three hours long. I can't watch this whole commentary and do that for this whole series because it's just too much. So I, I, I have no idea what he says on those things. I hope it's not terribly <laughs> interesting because I'll never see it. Okay. What's next? <laughs> Indiana Jones. And what did you find, Junior? Junior? Dad? Please, what does it always mean, this, this Junior? That's his name. Henry Jones, Junior. Like Indiana. We're named the dog Indiana. Maybe go home now, please. The dog? <laughs> you are named after the dog? <laughs> got a lot of fond memories of that dog. Now, the Indiana Jones series is a series that should have stopped at three. The fourth one... I think really does diminish the series, and the fifth one is not going to help, I'm afraid. And this is by no means the only trilogy that has this problem. I would say Die Hard has the same problem. If they had stopped with Die Hard with a Vengeance, they would have a strong case for number one all time with me. I think a lot of people... Are, is there four Alien movies, or are there only three? I think there were... Oh, there's at least four. There might yeah. be a fifth. Let me confirm that while you're talking here. 
So that's another uh, series where a lot of people, you know, have complained that it's been diminishing returns every time out after the second or third one. Um, but then on the flip side, there's some series where I'm glad they didn't stop at three, like Mission Impossible, Fast and Furious, Mad Max, because in all of those cases, their best movies came after the first three or four, which is otherwise, you know, always unheard of. I guess James Bond fits in that, uh, that category for that too. And I guess if that does, probably Harry Potter does. I don't know. Those are just long running series where that, you know, maybe that's a different discussion where there's more than seven movies or something, those ones in Fast and Furious. But uh, some some trilogies need to stop at three, but, you know, that's the Hollywood is nothing if not uh, greedy and uh, trying to cash in on a, a something they think they can cash in on. And sadly for Indiana Jones, that's what's happened. Because I think if they had stopped after Last Crusade, that's an all-timer right there. Alien, by the way. Alien in 1979. Aliens, 1986. Alien 3 in 1992. And then there was Alien Resurrection in 1997. Fast forward to 2012, and then you had the prequel, Prometheus. And then in 2017, another prequel, Alien Covenant. And then if you want to include the Alien versus Predator movies, but those don't really count. They're they're fun, but they're silly. In a moment, we're going to Gotham. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We're talking some of our favorite all-time movie trilogies this week. And now we're going to talk about The Dark Knight. If we don't deal with this now, soon, little uh, Gamble here won't be able to get a nickel for his grandma. Enough from the clown. Let's not blow this out of proportion. You think you could steal from us and just walk away? Yeah. I'm putting the word out. 500 grand for this clown dead. A million alive. So I can teach him some manners first. Now, if I were 20 years younger, I mean, if these were my childhood movies, they would probably be my number one trilogy of all time. Still the best Batman, still the best superhero movies. Not really sure why The Dark Knight Rises gets the flack it gets on the internet. It is a little bit of a messier in the storytelling, but Bane, I think, is a great villain. I love the ending. But Heath Ledger as the Joker in The Dark Knight, probably the greatest superhero movie villain ever portrayed on screen. I just love it. I mean, he won an Oscar for it, and superhero movies don't win Oscars. They don't even win the tech Oscars as often as you think they would. So the Dark Knight trilogy is definitely my favorite superhero trilogy. Although in the MCU, the Captain America trilogy, that's come pretty close because those are my favorite movies on the MCU side of things. All three movies are just excellent. Iron Man and Thor, they're also good, but they have you know fewer good entries in the Captain America series. Um, can't wait to add Guardians or Spider-Man to that list. But even still, with the MCU, I rarely really think of any of the different characters as having trilogies because a lot of characters pop up in the different movies that don't have their names on them. They're all connected to everything else in the MCU and the overall story. So I sort of just think of that as a one giant 23 movie series so far as opposed to several smaller trilogies. I agree with that. Yeah, I don't look at any of the the Marvel sort of entries as trilogies because they're all yeah. so interconnected. You couldn't you couldn't watch I mean I guess you could watch the Thor movies for example and nothing but the Thor movies, but you'd be missing so much context on other yeah. things happening. So, yeah, I just look at it as one massive saga. But yeah, Dark and Knight uh, Dark Knight Rises 
maybe part of the reason why it takes flack is because you can't understand what Bane's saying half the time. <laughs> that's true. That's a, that's a good point. Uh, those, the subtitles definitely helped with that. Um, but to be honest, he's not really saying that much anyway, so it's not that big a deal if you're missing out on Bane. He's just there to look tough and crack backs. <laughs> All right, <laughs> let's move on to a galaxy far, far away. General Kenobi, years ago you served my father in the Clone Wars. Now he begs you to help him in his struggle against the Empire. I regret that I am unable to present my father's request to you in person, but my ship has fallen under attack and I'm afraid my mission to bring you to Alderaan has failed. I have placed information vital to the survival of the Rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. My father will know how to retrieve it. You must see this droid safely delivered to him on Alderaan. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. We played so many Star Wars clips over the years, Brett. I decided to pick something really different that we've—I don't think we've ever played that thing, not in its entirety, anyways. It's the Princess Leia message to Obi Wan Kenobi at the beginning of the first Star Wars movie, of course. And that original trilogy, I find to be very consistent. The scope widens after the first one, and the the budgets clearly go up. But those are three movies that feel of a piece together to me, to the point where I don't really get the whole, well, Empire is clearly the best one thing because, I mean, like, when do you ever watch one of those movies with without watching the other two? To me, it, it's more like one six-hour, three-part movie, just like, you know, Lord of the Rings is a nine-hour, three-part movie. But f- when it comes to the Star Wars original trilogy, for me, uh, if, if I'm watching one, I'm watching all of them, and it's just one it's like one big thing to me. It, it's, it hardly feels like a trilogy at all, even though it obviously technically is. Yeah. I, I think the, I guess people just like to rank things, right? So you got, yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to rank them, then empire is the strongest entry, but I agree that I can't watch just one. Like if I watch, if I happen to watch any piece of those three movies, I got to watch all three of them. So that's one of the reasons why I don't, often watch them if i feel <laughs> if i feel like watching star wars i'll watch rogue one because even though that ties in directly with a new hope it's still its own entity so you can watch that and get away with it because you know what happens in the trilogy but once you get sucked into any one of those original trilogies you got to watch all three of them but yeah good choice star wars the original trilogy for sure the best of the nine skywalker saga movies for sure Absolutely. And now my favorite trilogy of all time, Brett, you of course talked about it last week because you rewatched it recently, talking about Lord of the Rings. I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides the will of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring. In which case, you also were meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought. I think really as far as a one, two, and three movie are concerned, uh, Lord of the Rings is just the best. I know Star Wars, you know, it's going to win every poll that's ever taken on the matter. But for me, Lord of the Rings is just perfect. Of course, it has this added benefit of truly being intended 
as a trilogy from the start, but it's just so grand and ambitious. It's still sort of, you know, staggering to think about how big a project it was. And I like movies about friendships, and at the heart of it, I, I feel like that's what uh, Lord of the Rings really is all about. Plus, you know, all the crazy battles and monsters and stuff. But really, it's it has that benefit of being intended as a trilogy from the get-go. Even a lot of other things, like Lucas will say, Star Wars was meant to be a trilogy, but a lot of these things, they still have to make that first one and give it an ending just in case they only do get to make the first one and don't get to finish out their trilogies that they have a movie that doesn't have a cliffhanger ending or something silly like that. So, but with Lord of the Rings, you know, cause they did them all at once and all together, they got to get beyond that sort of thing and just really break it down into one, two and three from the jump. And it's just, it's magnificent. It's still, I think we underrate them and I think Lord of the Rings will for a very long time be my favorite trilogy. Well said. What else can I say to that? I wonder if anybody will ever try to remake those or to do their, like a new film version of Lord of the Rings, or if it's something that'll just remain untouched as a classic, just leave it. Not even going to try to top that because we've seen a parade of remakes over the last couple of decades and they pretty much all suck in a moment. We're going to take a look at a couple of cartoon trilogies. You're listening to the couch potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the couch potatoes. We are looking at our favorite trilogies and it just kind of occurred to me the other day as I was looking at my DVDs and my Blu-rays, how could I not include this? My fist hungers for justice. That was my fist. From 2008, 2011, and 2016, it's the Kung Fu Panda Trilogy. Who are you, buddy? I am the Dragon Warrior. Ah. You? (laughs) Him? He's a panda. You're a panda. What are you going to do, big guy? Sit on me? (laughs) Don't tempt me. (laughs) I love these movies so much. Jack Black... As the Dragon Warrior, the Kung Fu Panda. These movies, uh, when when that first one came out in 2008, I remember just being so blown away by the animation. And it's funny, if I were to go back and watch it now, I would probably think that the animation is out of date. That's not to say that it's bad, just that the level of detail, the level of sharpness might not be up to snuff compared to what we get now. But yeah, those movies are just sheer fun. And they get such a great voice cast. So I got to go back and watch those again because I think I only have the first Kung Fu Panda on DVD. I don't even think I own the second one. And I know that the first two Kung Fu Panda movies are on Netflix, but the third one is not on a streamer. You got to rent it. So that sucks. So that's from DreamWorks Animation. And here's another trilogy from DreamWorks. Now, dragons used to be a bit of a problem, but that was five years ago. Now they've all moved in. And really, why wouldn't they? We have custom stables, all-you-can-eat feeding stations, a full-service dragon watch, even top-of-the-line fire prevention, if I do say so myself. The How to Train Your Dragon Trilogy from 2010, 2014, and 2019. We've really got to work on your solo gliding there, bud. Toothless. You're pouting, big baby boo. Well, try this on. Feeling it yet? Huh? Picking up on all my heartfelt remorse? Oh, come on, come on. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't hurt a one-legged. 
That first How to Train Your Dragon movie came out, it was a 3D film, and it came out, I think, shortly after Avatar, and that's when everybody was going nuts over 3D. And as good as Avatar was in 3D, this one blew my mind even more, partly because it's animated. Nothing beats, in terms of 3D, nothing can beat animated movies. They look so good. But this trilogy in particular, you talked about Friendship, in was that Lord of the Rings? You like yeah, that? yeah. Well, that's what works in this. It's a it's about a friendship between a young guy and this dragon because the the movies center about how Vikings have been fighting and hunting dragons for generations, but he befriends one, and not only does he befriend a dragon, he befriends the one they fear the most, the Night Fury, and it turns out the Night Fury's pretty nice dragon and they're actually all pretty nice so the uh, the animation the imagination on display is just tremendous uh i actually recently recorded how to train your dragon the hidden world because uh i wanted to watch that again since it came out in 2019 looks like the first one and third one are also available on netflix and it says the second one you can access on crave but i just it was on i recorded it on my pvr it came up on Crave just ran it one Saturday night, so I rolled on that. Have you seen any of these movies, Kung Fu Panda or How to Train Your Dragon? I've seen the first Kung Fu Panda, and I did really enjoy it. I should check out the second two. I haven't seen any of the How to Train Your Dragons. I watched about 10 minutes of one on a cruise ship once. It was playing on the big screen on the on the Lido deck under the stars one night. But I'm I'm the guy where I can't start watching a movie I've not seen before, like... 20 minutes into it and try and pick it up. I got to watch from the beginning, so I didn't stick around for it all. But I've heard nothing but good things about those How to Train Your Dragon movies. So I I, re- I really would like to watch a trilogy of that. I it Just uh, while we're on streaming here, this is one of my pet peeves where the first and the third ones are on Netflix, but the second one isn't. That drives me nuts. I don't know who's putting these deals together over there, but when they do stuff like that, it just drives me bonkers. Yeah, it drives me insane, too. So, I mean, just double-check that. Go check. I mean, I'm checking the Just Watch yeah, app yeah. right now, but it's not infallible. Check for yourself right. uh, on Netflix or whatever. Oh. Also, just want to quickly mention that both Kung Fu Panda and How to Train Your Dragon have... Uh, uh, Kung Fu Panda has at least one cartoon series, and How to Train Your Dragon, I think, has a bunch. So there's a ton of Kung Fu Panda and How to Train Your Dragon content to enjoy out there, but the movies are the best. These are great trilogies. And- the Dragon Trilogy, that's the Butlerverse, right? So I should get in that. Am I right? You're right. You're right. you're a nerd. I'm just going to leave <laughs> it there. Hey, finally, I got to include this and make an argument as to why it is one of my favorite trilogies, in spite of how reviled the sequels are by many. The Matrix Trilogy! And I include this because I was reminded just this past weekend of how much I love these movies because... I picked them up on 4K Blu-ray, LOL, from the year 1999. The Matrix, of course, is a largely revered film. Groundbreaking. Great reviews. It's a classic. The sequels, not so well received. The Matrix Reloaded arrived in 2003. What if the prophecy is true? What if tomorrow the war could be over? Isn't that worth fighting for? Isn't that worth dying for? Matrix Reloaded arrived to a ton of fanfare, but it left a lot of people underwhelmed 
because the Wachowskis expanded on the philosophy stuff that was in that first one, and that screenplay was bloated with lots of nonsensical dialogue that was just, quite frankly, annoying and pretentious. And then, of course, there was this scene. You are the eventuality of an anomaly which, despite my sincerest efforts, I have been unable to eliminate from what is otherwise a harmony of mathematical precision. So at first, that scene was annoying even to me. But upon re-watching it, not only does it make sense, but I think it is brilliantly written because that character was the architect, a computer program whose sole purpose is to be precise. So of course his language is going to be cold, clinical, mathematical, and precise. And what a voice. And yep, the movie is bloated, but the action in this movie is incredible, especially that freeway chase. It's so thrilling. Trinity racing a motorbike through traffic, Morpheus fighting an agent on the roof of a semi-trailer, and when Morpheus slices that SUV with a samurai sword and then flips it on its side and he shoots the bottom of the car with his machine gun and it explodes, man, that is one of the best, badass moments, I think, in all of film Lawrence Fishburne is just so cool. So if you can put aside the nonsense, Reloaded is great. The Matrix Revolutions arrived later that same year. Speak. The program Smith has grown beyond your control. You cannot stop him, but I can. And if you fail... Revolutions arrived to much less fanfare because I think so many people were just so sour about Reloaded that it kind of limped into theaters. And again, pompous and pretentious, confusing, time-wasting dialogue abound. But it too had some amazing stuff, including the character Bane being infected with Smith, Agent Smith, who could now copy himself. So he takes over a human. It was a genius story arc and geniusly portrayed by actor Ian Bliss as Bane slash Smith, standing in for Hugo Weaving in the real world. Uh, the real world of the Matrix, at least, by the way. And again, the action in this, incredible. Niobe piloting the hammer, the ship, back to Zion through this small, cramped route while they're being swarmed by sentinels. And the assault on the dock is still one of the most brain-melting action sequences on film, given the sheer amount of stuff that's happening. But look, overall, I still dig this movie. Yeah, they're pompous. Yeah, they're pretentious, the sequels. But if you can put that stuff aside, I think they're fun. So yes, I... Stand by the Matrix Trilogy. I love them. I love them all. The Matrix Trilogy. Yeah! Every time you talk Matrix, it makes me want to watch the whole thing again. And I've only seen those uh, sequels, I think, once each in theater. But I should give them another shot just from your enthusiasm alone. Yeah, I could go on for another 10 minutes about it. So I'm just going to stop because I know you want to go on about your favorite saga. So we'll get into that next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We're done talking trilogies. Now we're going to talk about something bigger than a trilogy. Some very welcome news this week about F9, a.k.a. Fast and Furious 9, a.k.a. the ninth movie of the Fast Saga. The world has a way of changing, but there's one thing. That always stays the same. You miss the old life. Do you? Every day. Crank it all the way up. Yes! <laughs> 
Fast and Furious 9 was supposed to come out last April, but of course was pushed back because of the pandemic. And Vin Diesel seemed to know something the rest of us didn't at the time because all the other movies last spring initially planned for delays of a few months, but the Fast and Furious sequel was immediately pushed back an entire year to 2021. And now, as of this week, we know when in 2021 it is scheduled to be released, and that is June 25th. And with vaccinations on the rise and cases declining in a lot of places, it stands to reason that a good deal of people may actually be able to see this in the theater. I know we can't get ahead of ourselves, but damn it, I'm going to get my hopes up here. Hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, as Tim Robbins tells us in Shawshank Redemption, and it's time to bring it back to theaters. So that date was revealed this week, and it just so happens I had a bit of a fast and furious week myself. Now, um, I jumped into the series late. I hadn't seen any of these movies until the week Furious 7 opened back in 2015. I can't remember exactly what turned me around, but I I know I made fun of these movies for many years, um, even though I hadn't seen any of them. But I think, Brett, a combination of you and others raving about Fast 5 and probably the Furious 7 trailer got me intrigued enough that I binged the first six movies at home the week before Furious 7 opened, and then I was just off and running. Now, the thing about the Fast Saga, of course, is that Fast 5 was that turning point. That's where they truly became these bonkers action movies, each more ludicrous than the last. Before that, they were mostly small-stakes street racing movies where the big heist would be, you know, a semi-full of DVD players. That's not exactly jumping cars from the top floor of a skyscraper to another skyscraper. Humble beginnings for a few movies, and then the Fast Five switch over to these mega blockbuster stunts. So because of that, movies one through four don't really get a lot of play. And in fact, while I've owned movies five through eight on Blu-ray for some time, I did not have the first four movies at all. Until this week, I found a deal on Amazon. They're selling them two movies to a box. So I got one set with The Fast and the Furious and Too Fast, Too Furious. And then another with Tokyo Drift and Fast and Furious, which is the fourth one. Each set only $12. So I got all four movies for about 25 bucks, which is a pretty good deal. And now my collection is complete, except for Hobbs and Shaw, the spinoff movie, which I will get someday. There's no rush on that. And with Fast 9 coming out in June, I thought, hey, I have some time to rewatch the series before then. So I started that this week, and you know, I like that original movie more and more each time I see it. It's a, you know, a, basically a point break ripoff, except instead of uh, surfing, they do street racing, and the racing is shot really well. It feels like you're in the car going fast. It's very exciting. Even the heist portion is more actiony than I remembered. It, it makes it feel a little more of a natural progression because they do use these giant spear gun grappling hook things right from the get-go. So when they're bringing out crazy toys in the later sequels, it's not that odd. Um, that first movie though is very broy. It came out in 2001 and enough time has passed that instead of being cringy and how it's dated like that, it's already sort of heading into the nostalgia era and everyone's just so young in the first one. It's, it's so noticeable. Vin Diesel is Vin Diesel. Um, he's an old man now and he looks like a kid in the first movie. It's really something I do sort of wish there was a seventies version of that with some better dialogue and, you know, maybe starring Michael Douglas and Jeff Bridges or something. Uh, that's the kind of movie that the movie it feels like it should be but it just happened to arrive 25 years too late and so instead we get Vin Diesel, Paul Walker and 
a soundtrack with Limp Biscuit on it. But it's a solid, small-scale cop story that's held up well over time, even if some of the stylistic elements have not. Now, Too Fast, Too Furious is generally regarded as the worst of the franchise, and I remember not liking it much at all when I saw it the one time I've seen it. So I'm not super thrilled to dive into that one next, but I guess I have to, and it'll all be worth it come June 25th when, God willing, we get to see Fast 9 on the big screen, Brett. And we just have a couple of minutes left here. we got to have a quick chat about the season, maybe series finale for WandaVision. This is chaos magic, Wanda. That makes you the Scarlet Witch. This is our home. Then let's fight for it. Overall, I thought the WandaVision was a great start to the MCU television side of things. I loved Elizabeth Olsen. She's definitely uh, the best Olsen sister. She can clearly do drama, comedy, and action well. I like that they brought Agent Wu in from Ant-Man, mostly because I'm a big Randall Park fan. Monica Rambeau, a good addition to the MCU. We'll see her again in the next Captain Marvel movie. There's a gray vision flying around now. I assume he'll pop up somewhere. And Catherine Hahn, of course, was excellent. It was a fun and a very weird way to present and reveal a bad guy. I found it to be a, a breath of fresh air. While I very much enjoyed my MCU rewatch over the winter, you sort of get blasé about the bad guys after 23 movies in a row, so this was different and fun. My main complaint with the finale was something I've heard other people say is that those townspeople were kind of tortured and then Wanda just left and you can't help but feel like they deserved a little justice. I mean, the one lady was begging to, for death, which is more than a little disturbing, but I don't know, maybe Agent Wu will arrange some proper restitution for them at some point. I also like that they took advantage of the nine-episode format to have some fun at the beginning. Why rush to the things that you know we all sort of expected when you can take a few episodes to play around with it? And it worked. I know some people complained it was taking too long to get it going, but if you have what is otherwise a pretty standard story, why not take the time to explore the things that you would never get to in a movie? Hopefully a lot of the other shows sort of do that too and just take their moments to you know to breathe like that and explore different things so a good start for uh tv version of the mcu brett that's all the time we've got i'm brett he's jeff we are the couch potatoes make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you're listening to this on the radio because we recorded thursday afternoons you'll get it sooner remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.